0: The last two Sundays, we've been talking about hearing God speak, and now today we must move on. We need to move beyond just hearing God speak because the next big thing is going to become very crucial for us. Once you hear God speak, you're going to hit a crisis. You're going to hit a moment in time to bring up this question: Do you really believe in the God that you espouse? Do you really believe in what he told you to do? And do you believe enough to actually step out into this God-sized assignment that he has put before you? When you're confronted with such a task, you're going to face this crisis of belief. That's a way that we could label it. And you're going to have to decide what you really believe God has called you to do. In the bulletin, I listed out in the inside the last two Sundays' sermon outlines because this all leads to the backside of the bulletin, this crisis of belief. So the inside is already there for you. It's all written out, the steps of experiencing God, that little diagram's in there. But now there's an area for you to take some notes on the back. Following God in faith. When we hear from God and we're going to follow God, it's always going to call us to faith and action. And these are two things that go hand in hand. Over the years, the church has gotten in a lot of squabbles about faith and action. And it depends on what theological bent you come from, whether you're bent more towards the action or more towards the faith. But I want to tell you, it takes both. It takes both. And Paul makes this very clear. Paul gets in this big debate that it takes faith and action. James talked about this in his writing as well. Let me read this passage to you. This comes from James chapter 2. And I think James really sums this up well. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? In the same way, we even believe that we even uh, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is, I think, an indictment against the church sometimes. If we talk about how great of a faith we have and how wonderful our God is, and yet we sit on our hands and we never allow God to do anything through us, what use is us even being here on a Sunday morning? You see, both have to go together. Faith and actions coexist. They're mingled together. They're inseparable. And if you have faith, it's going to be followed by your actions. But if you go out and you do a bunch of good works and a bunch of good actions thinking that that's going to get God to like you, that's pointless just as well. The two have to go hand in hand. When God speaks, he's going to call us in this moment to follow his will, and he may call us to some big things, and it's going to push us into a crisis of belief. Will we act upon what we believe God has said? Will our actions begin to match our faith? And one very fair criticism of the world that, is, that they're making, the world is making of the church right now, is that the church espouses a whole bunch of stuff they believe, but they sure don't live it out. Mahatma Gandhi said, I love your Jesus, I just don't like your people. Why? Because we believe great things, and we espouse great things, but oftentimes it doesn't show up in our day-to-day lives. In the opening book of Dallas, Dallas Willard, I'm reading this other book, along with Experiencing God and all this stuff I'm reading over here, and the opening of this book, it's a, quite a deep book. I, if you want to read it, I can show you where to get it and get a copy for you, a Divine Conspiracy. Dallas Willard uh, was a theological professor at the University of Southern California, UCLA. You've all heard of that one. He was a professor, a long-tenured professor at the school and a devout, devout Christian man, an evangelical Christian man. And uh, his his writing is pretty deep. It has that scholarly sort of weighty sort of feel to it. It's written in academia. But at the top of this book, he presents something that just is mind-boggling. He wrote the book, and it was back in the 1980s that he wrote this, and he said something has gone terribly, terribly wrong with Christianity. When you have a whole lot of men and women who espouse to be unbelievably great Christians, giants in their faith, and then they go down in flames. We've all witnessed that, haven't we? Leaders of denominations, leaders of all sorts of size churches, from little ones to big ones, leaders of movements within the the Christian faith, and then all of a sudden something comes up and you find out they were not living in their private life the way that they were espousing from up here. In fact, sadly, just two weeks ago, I'm not going to name the name, but two weeks ago, another big-time theological writer, speaker, espouser of Christianity, he passed away, and then come to find out after he passed, some, some digging was done because some accusations got made, and it came out that he had propositioned over 200 women, unsolicited sexual propositions to 200 women, and several of them he had actually gotten went too far with. And Dallas Willard said, this cannot happen. If we really believe this, if we really believe in the God of this book, and we really believe in Jesus, we cannot separate our life from our belief. And yet, for some reason in Western Christianity, we have done exactly that. We have separated our life of Christ away from our life that we live 24-7 the rest of the week. And he says we can't do that. The rest of the Dallas Willard's book is spent on how do we bridge that gap, and it's a divine conspiracy is what he calls it, uh, that God did not come to make a kingdom that you enter when you get old. He brought a kingdom that exists now, and we enter it now. And it's fascinating how these two works, these two great guys, these authors, are lining up together. God's voice to you may come in a still, small voice. It may come in a big, booming voice. We talked a lot about that. But when God speaks, he's often going to call you to something. It's interesting, something I learned uh, reading from uh, Henry Blackaby is that God in the Bible seldom ever has just a casual conversation with somebody. You don't see that happen. When God speaks in the Bible, when somebody has an encounter with God, it's usually because God is bringing about a revealing of His will and what He wants to do, and He's inviting somebody into it. Almost 90% of the time in the Bible, that's the kind of conversations that God has with us when He speaks. So when God speaks to us, are we ready to step out? Are we ready to enter what he wants us to do? And he may call you call you to something smaller, he may call you to something big. He may call you to just, you know, uh, change your language because it's not pretty right now. He may call you to do something new, maybe a different way to deal with your finances than you've been dealing with your finances. He may call you to an action like, I want you to get in that spiritual conversation with your neighbor. I'll open the door. I just want you to step into it. He may call you in little things. And I want to be, we don't talk about this much anymore. He may call you to full-time Christian service. You know, we are in a culture, we are in a time right now when everybody's job has been affected by this latest crisis. Amen? Anybody's job here not been at all affected? My job has been. Everybody's job has been affected by this last year. And there are a lot of people who've lost their jobs, their jobs have dramatically changed, the circumstances, the pay, the hours, it's all changed. What if in this moment, God is calling you to step out in faith and become a pastor? Have you ever thought about that? He doesn't just call people like me, he calls people like us. And what if he's calling you? What if he is calling you to become a missionary? Now, I'll be sad because I don't want to lose you. But what if he's calling you to go somewhere to serve him 24-7, and that's your occupation, that becomes your career, that becomes your full calling? I think God is still calling men and women into full-time occupation for him. And maybe he's calling somebody here. Maybe he's calling you. When God shows up, he's going to talk, and he's going to call us to something big, and how are we going to deal with what he's saying? It's going to push us into a crisis of belief. We've already had a great worship service this morning, so I don't want to take a lot of time. I want to hit just a couple things, and then we'll be done this morning. So how do we do this? What happens in this crisis of belief when we move into this? Let me give you four, I think it says four ideas here. You can write them down on the back of the bulletin. Number one, you've got to respond quickly. You've got to respond quickly. I'll make a little confession here. Sometimes when Michelle and I go for a drive, we get in little tiffs. Sometimes. And oftentimes the little tiffs happen over directions. It's usually not, we're beyond the slow down, you're going too fast, stop weaving in and out of traffic. I think she's just given up on that side. Okay? But we'll get in tiffs. And here's the way this happens on these particular tiffs. And they probably happen more than they should. I'll be driving along, and you know, I'm a man, so I never get lost, right, guys? We never get lost, but I'll realize, hmm, I better get some directions. So I'll look over to Michelle and say, Michelle, pull the map up on your phone really quick because I don't want to go the wrong way and cost us a bunch of time. So she pulls out her phone. She, by the way, hates to navigate, and I know that, all right? She does not like being the navigator. So she pulls out her phone. She's pulling it up. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. I need to make the decision in about 10 seconds. And she's pulling, it's not loading, You know, that's easy. It isn't Paulina. I can't get the address. And I'm like, come on, if you knew how to work your phone, then we would know. And sure enough, it shows us where we need to go right after we passed the turn we needed to take, right? By your laughter, I'm assuming some of you have that same thing happening, okay? The worst of this happened. Several years ago, uh, my brother and sister-in-law came out to, to visit with us. We went over to Cedar Point on a Saturday, enjoyed the day at Cedar Point. We came home. We stayed all the way tonight because all the high schoolers and bands left at four o'clock, and then the park became really fun. So we stayed till like ten. It was either open till ten or eleven. I can't remember. It was open late. It was dark. We got to walk onto Top Thrill Dragster no line as fast as we could run we got off and back on it was unbelievable so we stayed till way late at night and then we you know then we needed to come home they were going to spend the night with us come to church the next morning and so we start heading back towards Brunswick and uh, we went back on the toll road now how many remember a few years ago they were resurfacing I-80 up here the toll road remember that it was a disaster a nightmare Clear out by Illyria, clear out by Illyria, the eastbound lanes were getting worked on, so they closed them, and two of the lanes went this way, and then the left-hand lane went over the median and then went down the westbound traffic, okay? So it was barricaded, and you're in this lane. As we were in this, there was a good bit of traffic still at like 10, 11 o'clock, it was probably 11 o'clock or later at night. So a lot of traffic. I was over in the left lane, and I saw the sign saying, you know, make a choice, you're going to have to go one way or the other. And as soon as we made the choice, and we were in this lane, because this lane was so busy, I'm thinking, well, I don't want to get over there, that's, that's going too slow. I get over here, and just out of my eye, you ever have that happen, you see a sign go, and you're like, did that just say there's no exits? In a split-second decision, I got in the wrong lane. And my brother's following me. He's like, do you know there's no exits in this lane? I'm like, yeah, it's no big deal. There'll be an exit at I-71 because it's a major interstate, and we're clear out by Elyria, and we're driving, 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 and there goes I-71, and we couldn't get off. Not only was I-71 closed, but Peninsula was closed. And not only was Peninsula, well, Peninsula, yeah, Peninsula was closed. We had to go out to, what is it, Boston Heights or Boston Run or the next exit out there. And then we had to drive all the way. It took us over an hour extra to get home already at like midnight on a Saturday night with Sunday service on the next morning. All of that because of a split-second decision. I tell you that because when God comes to us and when he asks you to move, don't wait around too long. You better do what he asks you to do. And one of the problems that we get ourselves into in our Christian faith and in the church is that when God moves and God speaks and he gives us something he wants us to do, we put it in committee. Let's form a committee. Well, we need to ask the board, well, let's go you know, get this together and, and we need to think this all through and we committee God's movement to death and we don't move on it for six months, a month, six months, a year and all of a sudden, God's moved on and then we're finally ready. I think we do that in our personal lives as well. When God moves, respond quickly to God's movement. Number two, ignore God's request at your own risk. As you hear from God and you enter into this crisis of belief, you're going to be challenged to just ignore what God said. But I want to be that one voice saying, be very careful if you do that. Don't go down that road. There are plenty of Bible examples, but let me give you an entire book in the Old Testament that that screams of this very thing. And the name of the book is Jonah. And the first chapter of the book of Jonah says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go down to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Oh, God, I don't know if I want to do that. That, That's stepping, ooh, that's a big step. I don't know. But Jonah ran from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell to guess who? Jonah. So they asked him, what did you do? (laughs) Tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of the heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. What a lesson. Ignoring God's call will come at a risk. And from this story, I want to point something out to you. It will not only bring risk to you, but it will bring risk to the people around you. Now, Jonah didn't have his family on board that we know of. He didn't love or have a relationship or an admiration for these sailors. It wasn't like they were in a relationship. And yet these people, just because they were next to Jonah, got caught up in the penalty, the punishment that God was bringing to Jonah. Jonah. And so I think it's very fair to say, if you ignore God, it's at your own and your family and loved ones' risks. When you ignore God, it doesn't just affect you, it affects the people around you as well. And so I want to be that voice calling out to you a warning, be very careful ignoring or saying no to God when he calls. Be careful. It tends to not go very well. And if this is the least that could happen, if you ignore God's calling on your life long enough, it'll be like putting God on your do not call list. He will not stop calling you, just like those salespeople will not stop calling you, even though you're on the do not call list. The thing is, he just won't get through to you anymore, he'll be blocked. It would be like the spam in your email that's blocked from your inbox. And that's the least that would happen. If you ignore God's call, he won't stop talking because he loves you too much. But you may no longer hear from him. So be careful. Number three, don't attempt to figure it out on your own. When God calls, he's oftentimes calling us to a God-sized thing, something that you're not going to be able to do on your own. That's just his nature. He calls you to something big. He called Moses to go free the nation of Israel when he was wanted for murder down there in Egypt. He calls us to big stuff that's bigger than us. And we have, to be careful to, we have to be careful when we hear God's call, and then we step back and we start putting all the pieces together and figuring it all out. Now, he gave us a mind to do our part, but we need to be careful not to step over the line and try to do God's part. We already saw this character show up in our reading of James this morning, but I want to talk to him because Abraham did not always have the faith that James was exemplifying back in his book. There was a little situation that came up in Abraham's life. God had called Abraham from a far country. He said, follow me, leave everything behind, follow me, and I'll do something great with you. I'll make you into a great nation. Abraham drops everything, he follows God, and God blesses him. His sheep multiply, his goats multiply, everything he has multiplies. His tents are bigger, his servants grow. Everything goes great for Abraham. God comes to Abraham again. And he says, Abraham, I want you to look up into the t- skies. Can you start, count the stars? He's like, no. And he goes, that's how many kids I'm going to give to you. Your nation is going to grow to be such a mighty nation. You won't be able to count them all. When Sarah, his wife, heard about this, she laughed about it. And she said, no way. I haven't been able to get pregnant. And I'm old now. And there's no way I can now get pregnant. So it didn't happen before. It ain't going to happen now. And so Sarah does something. She, I don't think she doubted God's promise that God was going to make Abraham into a mighty nation, that their offspring was going to be as countless as the stars. I don't think she doubted the promise, but Sarah decided to help God out. I'll fix this. I know what to do. God, I'm going to help you. And so she made arrangements. If you, The Bible sometimes gets really nasty, okay? I don't know how to put it. She decides to take her servant slave girl, Hagar, and makes her go in with Abraham to do what they need to do, and she gets pregnant. This is, this is Sarah's idea. Now, Abraham's also at fault in this because it takes two to tango. And I don't think Abraham was like, well, it ain't my idea, and wow, I made a baby, you know. I, I, so he was at play here as well. And Hagar ends up getting pregnant, has a son, they name him Ishmael, and everything's great. Sarah's probably thinking, hey, we did it, we helped God out, now we can, you know, I couldn't have a baby, and you know, so this works, and you know, da-da-da-da-da. Well, needless to say, eventually, Hagar and Ishmael begin causing problems in the household. I don't even know, I feel bad for Hagar and Ishmael, because she didn't have much of a choice in this, and yet Sarah gets jealous. I couldn't have a baby. You slept with her, and she gets to have a baby, and now you love that kid. This is not right. And so problems, could you imagine husbands being in that house? Whoo, not pretty. And so Sarah insists that Abraham kick Hagar and the kid out. And basically, that was a sentence of death. And so Abraham comes to Hagar and says, "Sorry, but my wife doesn't you know it ain't going well anymore, and this didn't work, and so you're out, sorry, bye- bye." and they leave, and they go out into the wilderness, and we find that that Hagar begins. Begins weeping over Ishmael because they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they're going to die in the wilderness. And God hears Hagar's prayer, and he provides for Hagar and for Ishmael, and not only provides for him, but also gets a little bit of that promise, and Ishmael becomes a great nation unto himself. And now here is the kicker. We are about, what, four to six thousand years from this incident? I think, somewhere in there, depending on how you divide things up. We're a thousand, a lot of thousand years later. Abraham eventually does have a kid. His name's is Isaac. And that kid grows up and you know, has Jacob, and then they have the 12 tribes, and that, those 12 tribes become the, the Jewish nation, the nation that we know of as Israel. Everybody know about Israel? It's still around today. All that people group is still around today. But Ishmael also grew up and he ended up having kids. And he became a mighty nation. And that nation is still around yet today. And does anybody know who those people are? The Arabs. And who have been at war for four to five thousand years? The Arabs are the arch enemies of Israel and vice versa. All because one lady and one man decided to help God out. And we're still feeling the effects of that today. If God calls you to a God-sized task, let God do His part. It doesn't mean that you sit down on your laurels and sit on your hands and do nothing, because He's probably told you to do a few things in this. But don't try and figure out what God is to figure out. Don't try and make the big God-sized movements on your own. And if for no other reason, if you can do what you, what you think God's called you to do, then you don't need God, and so God gets no glory. When God's calling us to do something, He's going to move, and it needs to be one of those things where you step back and say, there is no way that I could have done this. No way that this could have happened. God had to show up in this. God had to be here. So don't attempt to figure it out on your own. Don't try and help God out. Let God be God. And number four, God speaks with a purpose. I mentioned this earlier. I want to come back to this. Very seldom in scripture do we see God just sitting down and having a chat. Yes, Jesus knocking at the door. He wants to come in and eat with you and he with he. So he wants that daily relationship, that daily fellowship together. But when God shows up in that, that big voice, when he begins talking, it's usually not to ask you, how's the weather? Think about that for just a second. Like, God needs to know. He sort of made it. Oh, by the way, how's the weather over there? It's sunny and great. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> wow. When God shows up and he begins to talk, he usually is going to have a purpose, and he's going to be revealing his will. He's going to be opening up the door of what he is doing, and he's probably, if he's chosen to speak to you, inviting you into what he's doing. I come back to this a lot because I think it's so big. Bible studies, discipleship groups, small groups within our church are so important. So important. So important. And I'm telling you, if you're not involved in a small group, you are missing all that God has for you. Even through our little church. He has more for you. Get involved in a small group somewhere. We have some discipleship groups going on Tuesday night. We have Bible study on Thursday for the ladies. Uh, We'll create some new ones. If you, like, come to me and, like, those don't fit, I need to fit. We'll find a way. We'll start something new to to help you fit. Here is the point of of a great... Now, Bible studies, by the way, we don't follow an old-style tradition, which you just go to Sunday school and learn the Bible to learn the Bible. woo that's wonderful. I'm smarter now. That's not the point. The reason we study the Bible is because we want the Bible to affect our day-to-day life. And that's the heartbeat of discipleship. What did you hear from God, and what are you going to do about it? How are you going to change? How are you going to change what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're living, how you're acting? That is a great Bible say. That's a great discipleship group. When you hear from God, are you going to move in on this? And I want to encourage you, get involved in a small group because a small group can help you hear from God. And then here's the cool thing. If you get open enough in your small group, so those that, you, uh, that are involved, let me encourage you to be just a little more open. Share with your group. When you've heard God say something, share with your group because in doing so, there is natural accountability because next week the group can come back and say, okay, you heard God last week. What did you do about it this week? And so small groups are a wonderful way to help you move when you hear God speak. All right, so we're going to wrap things up. Henry Blackaby had this story, and I just want to share it with you this morning. I thought this was fascinating. It was a great story. He was teaching and living this stuff in his church. He moved from, I think, California and took a church up in uh, Canada. It was a small little town. It was a college town. The church was primarily um, college kids and a smattering of empty nesters, and that was it. So they didn't have a whole lot of money. They didn't have a whole lot of people, and yet God took this thing and it went, and it just exploded. Well, they live. were living out these principles in their church of experiencing God. This step, you know, hearing for God, the crisis of God's working, God speaks, we hear from God, the crisis of belief. He's working all of this out in the church, and they're living this day by day. And then his leaders come to him, and they said, Pastor Blackaby, we live this out in everywhere except our church budget. He was like, well, okay, what do you mean? And he goes, we don't live by the faith you're calling us to when it comes to setting our church budget. We look at all that we want to do, and we figure out how much that costs, and then that's what we do. We, we try to keep our costs within our means and our income at the year. And he goes, okay, uh, what do you suggest we do about this? And the church board came up with this idea. They came back to him. They said, okay, we need to first ask God, what do you want us to do as a church? Let's talk to him, not our ideas, his ideas. What do you want us to do as a church? Then we need to sit down and figure out how much that costs because every time God asks us to do something, it's gonna come at a cost, either a financial cost, a personal cost, whatever. But when it comes to church budget, they said, we need to figure out the dollars it's gonna to take to do what God needs us to do. Well, they did that. And it came up that what they, they prayed about, what, that's the first thing, you gotta pray and really hear from God on what you should be doing. They did that. They figured up the cost, and it was about twice as much in their budget. And then they backed up and they said, okay, now it's, it's a lot of money. So we need to figure out how's the money going to come, and they divided it in three ways. What we normally bring in in our tithes and offerings, what outsiders may give to us, outside denomination, outside people that want to support our ministry of church planning because they're a big church planning church. Um, So, you know, outside resources coming in, and then we'll step back and we'll ask or say, God, that last third you're going to have to come up with because there is no way that's going to happen. And he said, we got that all set up. We figured out our budget, and then the crisis of belief came. That's all easy work, by the way, up to this point, point. and then the crisis came, and they said, okay, operating budget. If you know much about budgets, you have, you know, the fantasy budget, and then you have a real operating budget. The way we do it as a church, you all set the fantasy budget, and Barb and I live out the real budget, you know, the day-to-day stuff, you know, making sure all the bills get paid. That's an operating budget. And he said, it came when we got to this point, we had to say, okay, what will be our operating budget? Will we operate on the two-thirds we, we can pretty sure know will come in and spend based on that, or will we operate even on that third-third, and if we spend that and God doesn't bring it in we're, in, we're in big trouble. Where do we really operate from? And after praying, they said, you know what, if we're really going to believe this stuff, we're going to live on the full budget as our operating budget, and if God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. And that's the way they lived. The next year, not only had they already doubled their budget at the front end, they brought in about another third more than what they expected that they had to figure out how to spend because of what God was opening up for them. That's the crisis of belief. That point where you have to step in, and if it doesn't, if God doesn't step in, if God doesn't show up, you're in trouble. That's a crisis. And I think God comes not just to us as a church. I think he comes to us as individuals, and he calls us to things, and he wants us to take that step. There is no guarantee. How many of you you were probably here a couple Sundays ago uh, with the Indiana Jones and that step he had to take. There was no guarantee there was going to be a shelf there. And that's where I think God calls us to. That's that crisis of belief. If I don't show up, you're going down. You might die. But it is at that point that I can come and I can do some pretty big stuff. Some pretty neat things. Crisis of belief. I want to end with this. I put it in the back of the bulletin and I thought this was so powerful of a paragraph. Let the world see God at work and He will attract them. Let Christ be lifted up, not in words, but in life let them see the difference the living Christ makes in a life a family or a church and this will affect how they outside the church respond when the world sees things happening through God's people that cannot be explained except that God himself has done what has done this then people will be drawn to God Let world leaders see miraculous signs of an all-powerful God, and they, like Nebuchadnezzar, will declare that he is the one true God. The world comes to know God when they see God's nature expressed through his activity. When God starts to work, He accomplishes something only he can do. And both God's people and the world come to experience him in ways that they have never known him before. That is why God gives God-sized assignments to his people. Is God talking to you? Is he calling you to that God-sized assignment? Is he calling you to full-time Christian ministry? Is he calling you to give more in your finances than you think you can afford? Is he calling you to step out and help Debbie with kids' ministry? Is he calling you to start something new, a new form of ministry? Is he calling you just to talk to your neighbor and have a spiritual conversation? What's he calling you to? And are you ready to take that step of faith, ready to see a God-sized moment? and see him show up in mighty ways. Dear Heavenly Father, I've been praying for our church. I've been praying for the individuals that sit before me on Sunday morning, sit out on TV land, Facebook, YouTube land, that you would speak to us, and we would hear from you. And it won't be just small little casual How's the weather conversation? Father, I am praying that you will speak to us in dramatic ways and call us to something beyond ourselves. As a church, as individuals. And Father, I fully believe you've already started your conversation. And there are probably some that are here right now this morning in the throes of this crisis. They've heard you speak, but uh, I don't know. I want to make sure it's really the voice of God. I want to make sure I heard right. And it's now time to step. And so, God, as you speak to us this week, and as we walk through this crisis of belief, I pray that we will step into this arena of faith. We'll put our actions involved in this. We'll take the step of faith, which is an action step, And if you don't show up, we're going to fail, so we need you to show up. And I pray that you will show up in such amazing ways that that back wall is going to be littered with blue and yellow cards. You're going to show up in such great ways that, that we can't help but step back and say, God needs the glory for this one. It was not me. My only role was to simply say yes, but boy, did God show up. And Father, I want to see you high and lifted up in our church. I want to see you high and lifted up in my life. I want people who do not know Jesus when they look at me in the circles I'm in, in the frog jump stuff, and when I'm out and about the community, I want the people who see me, Father, to say, that guy believes in a God of miracles, a God that does crazy things, bigger things than humanly possible. Not so that I can get credit or glory, but so that you can. I look for those opportunities, God, that when they they look at our lives, they will see beyond our own actions. They will see you at work in us and they will want to have you working in their lives as well because they need the same boldness that maybe we have. Father, right now, this keeps coming back to my thinking, our world is cowering in fear. Our government is cowering in fear. Hollywood is cowering and crumbling in fear. Get a shot, get a mask, stay at home. And I'm not saying those things are bad, God, but the driving motive is fear. Fear not of COVID, fear of death. And Father, here we are. We're your people and we claim to know you. How can we be driven by fear? You have taken the sting of death away. You have given us your Spirit, and our Spirit is now becoming with your Spirit, and we're mingling together so that we will never die. This body will go away, but we will just step over as if falling asleep and waking up in heaven. We'll step over with you, and the fear of death is gone. Father, take our fear away. Take our fear out of the equation of this crisis of belief so that we can take big, bold steps and moves for you, so that we can boldly proclaim, like our brethren that went before us, as they stood before lions, as they were stretched out on tables and pulled apart, as they were burned to death, as they faced all sorts of horrors throughout the history of of the world, they refused to bow a knee to the king and only to you. Father, call us to that kind of faith that says, I don't have all the answers, but I believe in my God, and He is big. So, Father, this week, help us to walk in faith, faith that results in actions. And I pray that you will shine, and that you will be held up, just like in the, the days of Nero. Nero. When the secular scholars said, I don't understand their God, but there is something about their faith we as Romans do not have. and Father, I I pray that may be said of your church today and of us. That no matter what comes, we will be people who step out in our faith and live it out in our day-to-day lives. And I pray that you will show up in mighty and big ways so that you are glorified. Walk with us from this place, God. Give us your power and speak to us through your Holy Spirit. And may we glorify you not just for an hour here, but 24-7 over this next week.